We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All you really need to say is the Cowboys against the Redskins, and that's about all the build-up you need, because these two people flat just don't like each other. That's my favorite voice, I think, of all time when it comes to the NFL. Pat Summerall, uh, boys and girls, no better way to uh, open the show here on a Friday before the first of two big-time showdowns down the stretch with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, On the show today, Gary Williams will be with me. Gary will talk Washington-Dallas. He's got a prediction on the game. He watches sports pretty much around the clock. He's into Taylor Heineke in Washington right now. So we'll talk Washington-Dallas with Gary, and then, of course, we will get into the Maryland basketball situation and talk really about what's next and whether or not he's going to be intimately uh, involved in the process. The show today is presented by my good friends at Window Nation. Right now, they've got a really good deal going for the rest of this month. You can get a house full of windows for just $99 a month. You'll get 50% off any style window that they have, uh, including bows, bays, double hung, and sliders. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. I swear to you, it will work out. I have not yet, and this is on my three boys, I have not yet over the 12 years that I've been endorsing Window Nation gotten one person to complain about their experience. Uh, If you don't believe me, call them and just get the free estimate and see how that goes at 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Uh, they're great. Um, I love them. And, uh, if you need new windows, you should get them now, uh, because with natural gas prices being where they are, your energy bills are going to be through the roof. Uh, all right, here we go. Um, round one, Washington, Dallas, my keys to a win over the Cowboys coming up, my prediction on the game coming up. Um, in this uh, opening segment. Before I get to Washington, Dallas, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. First of all, just the the crushing story of Demarius Thomas passing away uh, last night at the age of 33 years old. You know, I woke up early this morning and I saw the story, and what I was struck by was the incredible reaction 
to him. Um, he was clearly beloved by not only his teammates, his coaches, the organization, Denver primarily, uh, with whom he played, but reporters who covered him. Nikki Javala covers the Washington football team uh, for the Washington Post. Before she got to Washington, Nikki covered the Broncos in Denver. She tweeted out the following uh, late last night. Most people saw what Demarius Thomas could do on the field. Off the field, he was even more special. These are just some of the videos I still have on my phone that I swore I would never delete. Being around little kids was when Demarius seemed the happiest. And she had videos of Demarius Thomas at, you know, I would imagine some sort of uh, charity event or some sort of kids event where he was playing with the kids. There was a holiday event that he was at. Um, You know, you don't get that a lot from, you know, uh, beat reporters, somebody that saved the video of him. Um, but it, it, these the the heartbroken response was coming from everywhere. Uh, Peyton Manning tweeted out the following. Demarius was a better person than he was a player and was a Hall of Fame player. That tells you how good of a person he was. He treated my kids like they were his own. He was there for every teammate's charity event. I texted with DT on Tuesday. He was talking about a TD audible, a touchdown audible that we had called against Arizona in 2014. I'm absolutely devastated. Um, No cause of death. They're just saying it was medical um, related. Um, but Demarius Thomas was a really good receiver, a five-time Pro Bowl receiver uh, in the NFL. And I think for many, he'll be remembered for the catch from Tim Tebow in the playoff game uh, in Denver against Pittsburgh back in 2011. It was the first play of overtime. Nobody thought that Tebow and the Broncos had a chance of being beating Roethlisberger in Denver. And Tebow found Demarius Thomas on a short pass. He took it to the house. They won the game. Uh, But Demarius uh, Thomas was a five-time Pro Bowler. He's second all-time in Broncos receiving yards and receiving yards. And up until James White, the running back from New England against Atlanta, set the Super Bowl record with 14 receptions, Demarius Thomas had that record with 13 receptions uh, in Super Bowl uh, 53, I think that was. Anyway, um, that was kind of a shocking story from overnight. By the way, the NFL game last night, the Minnesota-Pittsburgh game, obviously that impacts the NFC playoff race. What a wild game. Uh, Pittsburgh looked dead when they came out, which I thought was a possibility, although I will tell you that right before the kickoff, I wagered on Pittsburgh plus three and a half. And I did it because we had Paul Charchian, fantasy football expert on the radio show yesterday. Charch is based in the Twin Cities. And he said something that made a lot of sense to me, and that is the players are not going to play for Mike Zimmer. They're done with Mike Zimmer. The town is done with Mike Zimmer. And I just thought short week, they had lost to Detroit on Sunday, and maybe they're going to bail. And even though it's a short turnaround for Pittsburgh, you know, it's a big high for them off that win uh, over Baltimore. So I took the three and a half. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong, although I was nearly right. 
Minnesota dominated the first half. They were 23 nothing. Should have been more. The kicker missed a field goal and an extra point, so it should have been at least 27 to nothing. They were up uh, 29 to nothing with like five minutes to go in the third quarter, and then they had a taunting penalty on a third down play um, on one of their DBs, and instead of Pittsburgh punting. Minnesota gave, gives up a touchdown, and then Kirk throws an interception, another touchdown, and then Pittsburgh gets the ball back. They score again, and within five minutes, it went from 29-0 to 29-20. On the third touchdown, they went for two, maybe a little bit early, didn't get it, so they were down nine. It was a crazy game because you've never seen a team more dead than the Steelers were. Anyway, Cousins threw a 62-yard touchdown pass to K.J. Osborne, and it seemingly was over at 36-20. to And then, after a couple of big completions to move the sticks and a run to move the sticks, Kirk throws an interception that almost gets returned for a touchdown. Uh, now, of course, you know I'm going to defend Cousins. K.J. Osborne on the slant fell down, so he's thrown it to a, a spot on the slant where, worst case, if he doesn't trip and fall, it's going to be incomplete. But anyway, Pittsburgh then scores, gets a two-point conversion. It's 36-28. to And then they had the ball back after uh, Minnesota made a first down and, apparent, and, and looked like they had made another first down on a defensive pass interference penalty on third and five. But the refs picked up the penalty uh, flag, which I actually thought was the right move. And Pittsburgh takes over from their own four-yard line and they drive it all the way down the field. And they've got a chance with three seconds to go from the 12-yard line. And Fryermuth, the big uh, tight end out of Penn State, has it in his hands. But the safety, Harrison Smith from Minnesota, knocks it out, and Minnesota survives 36-28. It was almost the perfect finish because if they score and they go for two and lose 36-34, I win my bet. I didn't want overtime at that point because then I could lose the bet at three and a half. Minnesota could score a touchdown, and I could lose. So um, almost one of the all-time miracle covers uh, having the Steelers last night plus three and a half. Man, the Vikings have not played one game this year that hasn't come down to essentially the final drive or the final play of the game. They're having one of the more remarkable NFL seasons in NFL history. The biggest point differential, eight points. And in both of those games, uh, they lost one by eight. They had the ball with a chance at the end. And last night, up eight. The other team had a chance with the ball at the end. Every other game has been by seven points or less and decided on the final play or final drive. They're they're too talented to be six and seven. Um, but let me just say, as it relates to the playoff race, that's not a good result for Washington. They'd like to see all these teams that are five and seven, you know, lose. You know, and so if Washington were to lose a couple of games, eight and nine still might get him in. And I've talked about this that eight and nine now didn't really feel this way two or three weeks ago, but an eight and nine record given their conference record, it could be good enough for a wild card berth. But we're not talking wild card berths now. Not today. We're talking about division titles. And they've got a chance at a division title. They've got a chance at a lot more than this. This is a remarkable turnaround. I know we've talked a lot about the suddenness of the turnaround and the unexpected um, nature of this turnaround, given where we were on Halloween night after the loss to Denver. But it's such a dramatic turnaround with so many 
big games against division teams and division rivals left. With a division title still in play and a home playoff game still in play, and if you get a home playoff game, you know, you're going to be playing a lesser-seeded team, you could potentially even win that playoff game. I have sensed this week more than any other after they beat the Raiders in Vegas. A lot of people who are completely checked out are now inching their way back towards, hmm, well, I'm going to watch the game on Sunday. Well, if anybody's got any extra tickets, I wouldn't mind going to the game on Sunday. I give Ron Rivera a lot of credit for this. I give the fact that they are a likable team a lot of credit for this. It's not just that they're in the midst of a four-game winning streak. They have leading them perceived good people and and winners. Ron Rivera, John Allen, Terry McLaurin, and certainly Taylor Heineke has captured the imagination of a lot of fans. Look, nationally, this game has some big-time juice. I mean, yesterday and then last night on the Thursday night game, consistent, now it's a Fox production last night with Buck and Aikman, consistent promotion of Dallas-Washington at 1 o'clock. Big game. Aikman weighed in with his thoughts. The, the Bradshaw, Howie Long, Kurt Menefee group, they weighed in with what they were thinking on the game. This is a big game Sunday. Really, the two biggest games, there's a big game at 1 o'clock, Washington-Dallas, and then there's a pretty good interconference game between Buffalo and Tampa at 425. The Monday nighter's pretty good, Cardinals and Rams. But this Washington-Dallas game, this is a big game on the national scale. It is. It's really important that Washington, if they're going to continue this road to recovery, this road to bringing people back underneath the Washington football tent. Sunday's huge. It doesn't impact their playoff chances if they lose the game. They're still going to be at the end of this week, football week, Monday night, in solid position to still make a run at a wild card berth. But the possibility, the possibility or the opportunity to beat Dallas – to be a game behind the Cowboys going to Philadelphia, um, to have a chance to win a division, which would be the second straight division uh, title uh, in for Washington in a row, the first time since 2003-2004 that the NFC East would have a repeat division winner, to have a home playoff game with fans, to have a home playoff game very likely against a team that they might even be favored to beat by the time we get there. Man, this opportunity to rope people back in way, way before premature um, based on where we were a month ago. It is a stunning turnaround that's created an unbelievable opportunity for the football team and the business of the football team. I still contend that as long as Snyder owns a team, we're, you know, one involvement, one pushing of a draft choice, one pushing of a free agent signing, one pushing or really trying to convince somebody into a trade away from being a disaster. And I'm not telling you that I think everybody's rushing back in to root for this team. 
as if they're, you know, they've forgotten the past. But the football side of the operation seems to be a first-rate outfit right now. It does. Ron Rivera is a good coach and a good guy. He's got a good staff. And his best players who are playing their best are real high-quality players and high-quality leaders. That's what they have right now. It's actually a likable team. Somebody said that to me on radio this morning. The thing he said, I'm in. I think they're going to win. And what's brought me back in is they're a likable team. They are a likable team. They're also a physical team. They're a tough team. And I think that's the key to Sunday's game against the Cowboys. But this is a game that's must for Washington. Isn't for Dallas, although imagine the pressure on the Cowboys if they lose this game on Sunday to be only a game up and staring at Washington again on December 26th. All right. Uh, I am assuming at this point everybody has heard what Mike McCarthy said yesterday. Did you hear Ron Rivera's response when he went on with Julie Donaldson last night? We'll get to that, uh, plus my keys to a win over the Cowboys, my prediction for the game, and a smell test. All of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Redskins embarrassed Dallas, taking a 23-3 lead at halftime. But in the third quarter, two long white to Tony Hill passes triggered another Cowboy comeback and the victory, 31-30. 
This afternoon in Texas Stadium, pro football's greatest rivalry is raging once again. CBS Sports presents... The National Football League. Today, the Washington Redskins against the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, Texas Stadium is sold out. We're coming to you live from Irving, Texas. $300 a ticket they're talking about to get into this contest. One that has everything. Dallas and Washington, both with records of 12 and 2. The best in pro football at this point. Many say these are the two best teams in pro football. The weather has cooperated. Couldn't ask for a better day. 67 degrees, the wind northwest 23 miles an hour. It is sunny and clear, and that's the forecast. The stadium is packed. They've asked the Cowboys have everybody to wear blue. And it looks like those who anticipated a great meeting are going to get just exactly what they hoped for. They'd like to hang those Redskins. The banners are crammed together throughout the side of the stadium. Good afternoon. I'm Pat Summerall, and indeed, it is a good afternoon. This is one that has everything. There's very little need to say anything else. The NFC Championship at stake, the home field advantage of the playoffs at stake, the pressure at stake, everything is here. And a man who has been through all that, who's won two Emmys in a row, and again, congratulations to John Madden, and also on his great success as the coach of the Oakland Raiders. I can't remember a regular season game with this much hype and ballyhoo. Not a regular season game. You know, this is the type of stuff that you get in championships and Super Bowls. And I've never seen Texas Stadium like this. It's just rocking today with all the excitement. This is really what it's all about. That was the open to what was the biggest regular season game, the most hyped regular season game in the history of the Washington-Dallas rivalry. I'm not going to go down nostalgia lane by giving you all sorts of lists today. I've done that in the past. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you simply about this game and quickly about this game. In 1983, when Dallas hosted Washington late in the season on December 11th in the prime afternoon CBS spot with Pat Summerall and John Madden on the call, Dallas was 12-2. and Washington was 12-2. and They had the two best records in the sport. They were the two best teams in the sport. And the hype for this game started three, four, five weeks prior to it. Everybody in the league was pointing towards December 11th and the Washington-Dallas game, which would determine the NFC East and the number one overall seed in the NFC playoffs. And that team would be favored to not only go to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. Think about some of the hype uh, of certain NFL games in recent memory, like this year, you know, Brady's return to Foxborough when the Bucs played the Patriots on a Sunday night. That was highly anticipated from the moment the schedule came out. This was highly anticipated during the season because Washington's two losses were a one-point loss to Dallas in the opener on Monday Night Football at RFK and a one-point Monday Night loss at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers, 48-47. to Meantime, the Cowboys' two losses had also been narrow losses. They had lost to the Raiders by two points, 40-38, to and to the Chargers on the road by one point, 24-23. So these were two 12-2 teams. In the case of Washington, one of their losses was to the 
the Cowboys. The other one was a one-point loss, and Dallas had two losses by a combined three points. The anticipation and the hype for this game, there's no other game in the history of this series that matches the buildup for this one in the regular season. Obviously, the two championship games that they played against each other in 72 and then after the 82 season, massive buildup for an NFC championship game. I understand it. But in terms of regular season games, nothing matched the hype for this one. And you just heard the open to it. Even Summerall and Madden, who were pretty reserved, certainly Summerall was, understood the magnitude of the game they were going to call. Now, this is the famous fatigues game. Washington got off the team plane in Dallas with many of the players wearing military fatigues. They had come for battle. They had come for a war. And Washington was the better team with, by the way, the better quarterback. You know, even back then, if you had the better quarterback and Washington had Joe Theismann and Dallas had Danny White and Washington was a better team anyway, they were in the midst of a season that would result amazingly in a plus 42 turnover differential plus 42 nothing's come close to matching that in the history of the game. Uh, but Washington was the better team, and they kicked Dallas's ass. The final score was 31-10. to 10. Um, It's the famous no Danny, no game with Tom Landry on the sideline. Washington rolled Dallas. They turned him over four times. Rigo went for like 90 yards and two touchdowns. Theismann threw for 202 touchdowns. He only threw, and I was looking at the box score, He was 11 of 17 in the game. He only threw 17 passes in the entirety of the game. But Washington's defense came up with one big play after another, and they rolled the Cowboys 31 to 10. They went on uh, to uh, blow out the Rams in the divisional round 51 uh, to 7. Then they uh, barely beat the 49ers after building a big lead in the NFC title game 24 21. And then. Uh, the infamous Super Bowl, Super Bowl 18, when they got run out of the building by Marcus Allen, Jim Plunkett, Cliff Branch, uh, and the Los Angeles Raiders, 38-9. to But that, uh, and they played a lot of big games, Washington and Dallas did over the years, a lot of major, you know, high-profile NFL regular season games. But in my view, nothing matches the buildup or the hype going into it like the 1983 game, uh, round two of that year. Uh, This one certainly doesn't match that. Um, But it's been a while, and it's nice to just think about the Washington-Dallas rivalry meaning something uh, again. All right, I like Washington to really have a, a decent chance to win the game. I'll give you my prediction in a moment. But I think Washington's keys to a win really start with being the more physical team. I think one of the identifying traits of this four-game winning streak is Washington's been the more physical team on both lines of scrimmage in their four wins. You know, they've had a tremendous offensive line performance this year, even with the injuries. So much credit goes to John Matsko, the offensive line coach, and to Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator. But they've got a back in Antonio Gibson, who is a downhill, physical, after-contact you know, runner. 
I think Washington's got a chance to run the football and be physical on offense, and then I think they've got a chance to stop the run and be physical on defense. To me, this is where this game, and I know many of you old schoolers would say every game is decided in the trenches. I really think this is a game that gets decided in the trenches. Can Washington's offensive line and its running back you know, run to the tune of four to four and a half to five yards per carry. You know, among the league's leading rushers is Antonio Gibson. He's seventh in the NFL in rushing yardage. But among the top 15 rushers, Antonio Gibson's average yards per carry is 3.9. That's second worst, Um, only uh, second worst to Najee Harris, of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who is two spots ahead of him on the rushing uh, yardage list. Gibson right now 800 yards in 12 games, averaging 3.9 yards per carry. But I've mentioned this in recent weeks. You know, the numbers from his last game, I just think are a bit misleading. And look, they all count. Just like a 75-yard run still counts, even if all of the other runs were, you know, three yards per carry and you end up with a high average yards per carry because of the one big run. Well, last week he went 23 uh, 23 carries for 88 yards, 3.8 yards per carry. But two runs were completely blown up for minus seven and minus three. So you add 10 yards... And you say 21 carries for 98 yards. Now you're almost at five yards per carry. So I think Gibson has run more like a four and a half to five yard carry, uh, you know, per carry guy. Obviously, you want to, you know, you want to eliminate these, you know, one or two big lost yardage blown up plays a game. But the other 21 carries, pretty damn good. Um, I think Washington beats Dallas if they're able to run the football and win at the line of scrimmage offensively. And then on the flip side, if they're able to stop the run and dominate with their defensive front and their linebackers against Dallas's running game that may or may not include Tony Pollard. Zeke Elliott, you know, saying that he'll be at 80, 90%. Um, Their backup to Zeke, if Tony Pollard can't go, is Corey Clement, who played with Philadelphia for a few years. He was a Wisconsin running back. Um, he would be the backup. He's kind of versatile. You know, he had, I think he had a touchdown in that Super Bowl win for Philadelphia. Uh, he can catch the ball. He can run the ball. But I don't think he's Tony Pollard. So that would be a big miss for the Cowboys. You know, Dallas has been run on in recent weeks. New Orleans ran on them, even though it was primarily the quarterback, Taysom Hill. I understand that. The Raiders ran on them, and even the Chiefs ran on them a little bit. Even if you go back to Dallas's 43-3 win over the Falcons a few weeks back, first two drives, Atlanta was running the football. And then the game got out of hand, and they had to throw to try to get back into it. I think Washington can run the football. And then, by the way, protect Taylor Heineke, set Taylor Heineke up for play action, for boot, for third and makeables. Uh, and I think they're going to move the football against Dallas. Uh, but run the football, stop the run. These are two key elements to beating the Cowboys on Sunday. Uh, next up uh, in keys to a win, 
I think it's really important that Washington continue to be an excellent tackling team, which they have been over these four weeks, especially against this team. They're going to have to be able to tackle in space. Linebackers, corners, safeties. You know, a quick hitch to Amari Cooper has to be a four- or a five-yard play, not a 15- to 25-yard play. Same thing to C.D. Lamb. Same thing if Zeke Elliott catches it on a quick swing or a, a quick screen. You've got to tackle well in space on Sunday. You cannot allow the big play after the catch. I think Washington's been really good at that over the last four weeks, but I think tackling in space against their playmakers, and they've got everybody back with the exception of the possible loss of Tony Pollard, but they're going to have Gallup, Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Schultz, etc. They're going to have their players, they're potentially, unless they're without Pollard, and Parsons was on the injury list uh, yesterday as well, defensively, but this may be the healthiest potentially Dallas has been in some time. Tackling in space, really, really big in the upcoming game. Uh, Lastly, um, I think I mentioned this yesterday, and if I didn't... um, If I did, I'm repeating myself, but if I didn't, you're hearing it for the first time. I think that the kickers are going to ultimately decide this game. I just don't see this being a one-sided game. I kind of felt the same way last week about the Raiders game, and I thought it would be decided. You know, I think my my final score prediction last week was 27 to 26, um, and, you know, it was a lower-scoring game, obviously, but I think Brian Johnson and Greg Zerline are going to have a big say in the outcome of this game. You know, there could be a play here or a play there that decides it, you know, a big mistake, a turnover deep in your own territory, a turnover going in for a score. You know, there's always the risk of a penalty derailing a game-winning drive or a significant drive. I just, for whatever reason, have in my thinking about this game – A very close game that is won by a field goal either way. And both of these kickers, Brian Johnson has not missed a field goal yet and just kicked a game winner in his first opportunity with Washington. He was also 8-for-8, remember, uh, in New Orleans, even though he missed three PATs. And by the way, PATs could have a significant impact on this game as well. Meantime, Greg Zerline, the kicker for the Cowboys, has missed five field goals this year and three extra points. He's had a couple of big kicks, but he's missed Missed some kicks as well. Uh, the weather's going to be nice. The field this time of year is never great. Uh, it's always a tough stadium to kick in. Um, and I just have a feeling that one of these kickers is going to fail or succeed, and that's going to be the difference in the game. But I think this game really ultimately is decided at the line of scrimmage. That's where I think this game gets decided. You know, remember, Washington ran it down Dallas's throats last year in the two games they played, but this isn't the same Dallas team. Different defensive coordinator. Obviously, the addition of guys like Parsons and having Randy Gregory back. Um, this is a different Dallas defensive team. Teams have run the ball on them. I think keeping those speed playmakers out of the game by not having to throw it too much or, more importantly, throw it when they're expecting it will be big uh, in this one. 
Uh, by the way, before I get to my prediction, a couple of things that I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday again or not. Sorry. Um, I get mixed up occasionally between what I've said on radio and what I've said on the podcast. So it's better to be repetitive. Ron Rivera's record uh, in December and January in the regular season is 29 and 16, 64.4%. By the way, if you want to listen to my weekly interview with Ron Rivera, just go to the team980.com and it's the first thing in the third hour. Uh, you'll find it the team980.com and um, just click on uh, the, the podcasts on the radio show site uh, for my show. Uh, Rivera was on with me. I think, by the way, they're going to be wearing white on white Sunday. I think that's what they're going to be wearing, for those of you that care, which means Dallas would be wearing blue. I might be wrong about that, but he sort of implied that. Uh, Ron's record of 64.4% in December, January, similar to Coach Joe's, you know, Coach Joe was outstanding this time of year, and we saw it last year, obviously, one and five, two and seven, and then to finish five and two. Now, the two key coaches on the other side are Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn. Mike, Mike McCarthy is the head coach. Ron Rivera's head-to-head with Mike McCarthy, four to two, including the two wins over him last year. He was two and two when he was Carolina's head coach, and McCarthy was Green Bay's head coach. His record against Dan Quinn, who was the defensive coordinator in Seattle and then the head coach in the NFC South for Atlanta, his record is 2-9 and nine against Dan Quinn. Now, to quote Ron Rivera or to use one of his favorite sayings, that might be more interesting than important. Uh, so I will leave it at that. That's more interesting than uh, important. Uh, now... My prediction, I like Washington on Sunday, 23-20. to And I think the storyline of this game is going to be Antonio Gibson and the Washington running game. It was in both of their wins last year over the Cowboys. I think Gibson carries 23-plus times for a buck 25 or more, and Washington wins 23-20 to in a very close game that, like last week, could go either way. And one mistake here or there, uh, certainly just one, um, could, be, could be the determinant. You know, I don't think Trayvon Diggs is going to drop a ball right in his hands like Trayvon Morig did last week for the Raiders. So you can't have one of those plays and likely get away with it uh, this week. Meantime, how about what Mike McCarthy said yesterday uh, when kind of rambling a little bit about his team in the upcoming game? We're just really focused on self-improvement and winning. You know, we're, we got to do whatever we got to do to win the game. Um, but these guys are very accountable. The work ethic of our football team, the whole space is very high. Uh, they're very accountable. Uh, we know what people think of us. We love that. Uh, we're comfortable who we are, where we are. Uh, but I'm excited about what's in front of us because, you know, we, we – you know, we're, we're going to win this game. Um, I'm confident in that and just, the, you know, the prep that's going into it. Uh, but, you know, more importantly, we're going to, you know, we want to improve too along the way. So I think that's all part about what the challenge of December football gives you. I'm not so sure Mike McCarthy really meant uh, to create bulletin board material, but he did. And he was asked about it today 
uh, at his press conference in Dallas, and he said, quote, it's irrelevant what anybody thinks about what I said. I was talking about my team. I always coach my own team. That's where I'm at with it. We have great confidence in what we're trying to do. It was an honest answer to a question from a great group of people, closed quote, as he buttered up. Uh, the local media. Now, Ron Rivera, who joins me on my show, and I did know about the Mike McCarthy um, uh, quote from yesterday, and I asked about it, and I said, what do you think? And he was very um, mum, didn't really say anything. And I said, well, it's not something that's very typical. Um, And he still didn't say much. But he did say a lot last night to Julie Donaldson, on the show, I don't know what show it is that she does as it relates to the team, but on a show where she has Ron Rivera on once a week, Ron Rivera did get a little bit wordier um, and a little bit more in-depth on his reaction to what Mike McCarthy had said. Here's what Ron said. Mike McCarthy basically guaranteed a win, going out there and saying Dallas will get this victory. What is your response when you hear a head coach saying that? I think it's interesting. I don't think it's important. I think that's the big mistake is because as far as I'm concerned, you know, you do that for a couple of reasons. One is you want to get in our head. And so I've told our players, this is that's interesting. It's not important. What's important is our preparation, getting ready to play on Sunday. Secondly, he's trying to convince his team, you know. So, again, I think that's another mistake because he's now made it about him and what he said. It's not about his players anymore. So I think that's the big mistake. That's why, to me, you know, you don't do those things. What you do is you focus in on, you get ready, and you play football. We show up on Sunday, and we'll see what happens. Ron Rivera snapping back. I love it. I love it. He's trying to convince his team. He's now made it about him. I think it's a big mistake. Look, in addition to the rivalry being resuscitated, which would be great news really for this organization here, much more so than in Dallas, um, it would be great if there was a personal animus between McCarthy and Rivera. That would be awesome too, just adding to what we would all like to be you know, a real prominent thing. Uh, again. Um, By the way, uh, weighing in on everything, uh, as he does multiple times a week on local sports talk radio in Dallas, is the owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones. Jones said um, about McCarthy's uh, comments, um, hold on, I have it here. I don't get hung up on the bit about the guarantee. That should be his attitude. He expects to win. He thinks he will win. I expect that. I'd be shocked if he couldn't make that kind of statement, closed quote. That from Jarrah. By the way, Jarrah weighed in. He weighs in on everything, including injury reports and strategy. Can you imagine if Snyder did that? Snyder's on you know, the Team 980 uh, two, two, two times a week talking about strategy, talking about injury reports, talking about, you know, uh, the opponent and different things. It's just not him. I mean, he is a recluse in terms of being a public figure. Um, his damage has always been done uh, behind the camera or with the cameras turned off. Um, Jerry, by the way, weighed in on a couple of Washington things, including the team name. Here's what he said about the team name. He likes the idea of Washington sticking with the name Washington football team. He said, quote, I think they will do a satisfactory job to me as far as what they ultimately do, but this is a good name, closed quote. Uh, We know who Dan looks up to in terms of owners more than anybody. I would would assume that Jerry's made his feelings felt to Dan about the name. 
I will stick with what I've known or certainly, you know, from a very good source heard three or four months ago. And that is it's not going to be, you know, a city centric name. It's not going to be Washington football team. It's not going to be FC Washington or Washington FC. It's going to be something. It's going to be a name that is plural. Uh, By the way, Jerry also said this about, by the way, also, let me just add, uh, I think there will be. I don't know when some sort of an announcement on when the new name will be announced in 2022. The one thing that I would think that they're thinking about maybe is let's not do it too early in 2022, like January or February, because we might have a game to be played. Uh, Here's the other thing that Jerry said. He said on Cowboys fans in Washington, D.C., quote, We have always sold more Cowboys memorabilia and had our most positive fan support coming from Washington. Outside of the Texas area, Washington is where we have the most support. Closed quote. I don't know that that's true. We know that there are a lot of Cowboys fans here, as there are almost everywhere uh, around the country. Seems like he's trolling us a little bit to suggest that Washington is the number two Cowboys market in America. It might be. You know, the Post, I think it was Steinberg who once said that they get more, other than the activity that they get related to the Washington football team, uh, they get more activity for the Cowboys and just NFL talk in general, but the Cowboys specifically, than any of the other local teams here. I think that's what he said years ago. I don't know. I could be wrong. Okay, let's finish up this segment with the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the the smell smell test. test. The smell test presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC and they will instantly double your deposit, your first deposit, all the way up to $1,000. If you're planning on betting on football this weekend and that you've already got a spot that you're betting through, sign up at MyBookie, take the free cash, and use MyBookie as a way to compare point spreads and money lines and totals and any prop bets that you're betting on. I promise you it is safe. I also promise you that their pricing is more likely than not much better than the pricing you're getting currently. You're not going to pay minus 125 on a straight bet. You're going to pay on average minus 110, sometimes less on a straight bet. Maybe sometimes a little bit more if you're buying and a half point uh, here or there. Um, but MyBookie is safe. Go to MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. If something's already written in the promo code section, erase it. Put Kevin DC, and they will double your uh, first deposit. That's double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Take the free money if you're betting. If you've already signed up with MyBookie, reload and at least use it. Uh, for a place to comparison shop. Maybe put a couple hundred bucks in there so you at least have access uh, to betting some games if you end up getting a much better number. Big difference between if you want to play Washington at plus four and a half or plus three and a half. It's a major difference. There's a big difference between plus four and a half and plus four. So think about those things. You should, if you're doing this the right way, and you should, of course, be careful if you're doing this at all. But if you're doing this the right way, having one place where you wager is stupid. 
Use MyBookie as your second or third place at MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. And again, use my promo code, KevinDC. 7-1 and one, uh, last week. I'm now a game above 500 uh, for the first time this year. It's been a nice run over the last month. Um, no college football other than Army-Navy tomorrow. I like Navy a little bit, but they're not a smell test pick. <clears throat> they're getting seven, seven and a half, eight somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, but seven and one last week, 72, 71 and four on this season now. Uh, I've got four NFL picks for Sunday. Uh, Houston got shut out last week. Seattle had that amazing win over San Francisco. Seattle's laying eight and a half at Houston, and the public now is right back on Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I'll take the Texans plus eight and a half. Uh, The big 425 game Sunday is Buffalo at Tampa. Buffalo coming off that crazy Monday night wind tunnel game loss to New England. Uh, The Buccaneers uh, beat the Falcons last week pretty handily. Uh, the public is backing Brady at home. I think the Bills rise up and have a really good game Sunday. I like the Bills plus three and a half. Uh, I, I like the Bears plus 12 and a half. I know the, the number is big, but it's come down from 13, 13 and a half. Public action is on Green Bay. And the Bears will be playing Justin Fields again on Sunday night. He played his best game before he got hurt in that Monday nighter against the Steelers. I think the Bears are pretty good defensively. Would not surprise me if this is like a low-scoring, you know, 24 to 13 kind of a game, 24-14, something like that. Uh, I think the Bears plus 12 and a half uh, gets it done. And then Monday night's game, the world is on Arizona. Um, I'll take the Rams by the half point, get it to three, the Rams plus three. So just four plays this weekend without the college football and really an NFL card that's exciting. There's some really good matchups in the NFL uh, on Sunday. Uh, In addition to Cowboys, Washington at one, you've got Ravens, Browns, Raiders, Chiefs. Uh, and then at 425, you've got Bills, Bucks, and then 49ers at Bengals, a big game in the NFC wild card race. The 49ers are one and a half point favorites because Joe Burrow's, you know, injured, and there is some expectation that he may play, but not at 100%. That obviously is a big difference maker in that one. And then the Monday night game's great. You know, Rams at Cardinals, we'll see. You know, the Cardinals, I'm not a believer. Um, but, man, in every big spot they've had with Kyler Murray or even without him, uh, they've pretty much come through. Uh, this is a big one for the Rams. You know, they they have uh, – if they want to get back into this division race, they have to win. That would cut uh, the Cardinals' lead to one game. But if they lose to the Cardinals, they still have Ravens, 49ers, Vikings on the road, and Seahawks. You know, I don't think they're an absolute lock to make the postseason. I think they will – but I don't think it would be like a hundred percent lock uh, to make uh, the postseason. So there you go. Smell test some of the games on Sunday. Obviously, the game we're most interested in uh, is uh, Washington Dallas. You know, Washington uh, just practiced today. Um, right now, uh, Schweitzer is out, but Collins, McKissick, Davis, and Samuel all listed as questionable. Micah Parsons would be the big one if he's not 100%. Tony Pollard, the same thing. That would be huge for Washington if either one of those two players are out or compromised. Uh, The point spread's four and a half. 
Obviously, I gave you my final score prediction of 23-20, which tells you I like Washington plus the four and a half. Um, As far as the total goes, uh, it's at about 48. Um, So I guess 23-20 tells you I'd lean a little bit under. The weather's supposed to be great. You get this one, and it's a whole new conversation. We've sort of said that the last couple of weeks, right? It's like, God, if they beat Carolina, if they beat Seattle now, and if they beat the Raiders, they're 500, and they're actually back in the division race. We're not even talking about only wild card anymore. Um, They get Philly next week. Remember that. Philly's on a bye week. They get Philly next week. And the look-ahead line, by the way, is Philadelphia – uh, a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite. The Eagles have been playing very well. You know, we're focused and dialed in on this Dallas game, but it's Dallas-Philly, Dallas-Philly over the next four weeks, and Philadelphia has played very well, um, and they are rooting for Washington uh, to a certain degree, and really any result for Philadelphia is not a bad result because Washington losing gives them a better chance at the wild card but Washington winning puts them back actually into the division race where they would play Washington next week. Um, Okay, Uh, we'll finish up the show with Gary Williams right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. All right, let's bring on Hall of Fame coach Gary Williams on to the podcast. And Gary's on today. We're going to talk about the Maryland job, which will potentially be open at the end of the year. I think most people assume that it will be. We'll get to that in a moment. But Gary, as most of you know, is a huge sports fan, um, more of a Ravens fan than he is anything else. But what do you make, because you watch a lot of sports, you watch a lot of football, what do you make of, of Washington's chances against Dallas on Sunday? Well, I think all coaches really enjoy watching uh, the Washington football team right now because of the way they're playing. It, it looks like what every coach wants is a team. Everybody's contributing. Everybody's doing a good job. Uh, the quarterback, Heineke, Heineke, Heineke whatever yeah. his name, yeah. yeah, he's come in and you know, just establish that he's going to try to win the game. He's willing to do whatever it takes to win the game, and that, that's that's a great thing. And you know, the the defense loses probably their 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 most famous player, their defensive end, and yet they're playing great defense now. So it's a team thing, and I think anybody that's a, a fan of sports, fan of team sports, really enjoys watching uh, Washington right now. 
You know, this is, um, Gary, really the first game against the Cowboys in a long time late in the season that's really meant something. And, and, you know, being on the air every single day this week, I've just gotten this sense that a lot of people want this rivalry to be back. And Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Cowboys, predicted yesterday that they were going to win. Um, and then Ron Rivera sort of came back and said, that's probably not the right thing to do. It's a mistake, you know. And so we've got the the talking going back and forth. You know, you were obviously a part of Maryland's biggest rivalry in all of those games against Duke. Is a rivalry game in preparation much different than any other game? Well, I think, uh, you know, every coach would say, no, it's just, you know, it's our next game. we got to get ready for our next game. It happens to be Dallas. But, hey, you, you, the players know. <laughs> the coaches know. Uh, what McCarthy said was great because, you know, that just, you know, that's on the Bolton board all over the place at Redskins Park. And, um, but players, you, you know, they like that. They like Rivera coming back and saying something back. Uh, you know, this is, you know, in the age of political correctness, this is great for the fans right. where coaches actually, you know, McCarthy gets out there and he says, we're going to win the game. Well, oh, you can't say that. Yes, you can. You can say that if you believe it and your players believe it. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But then if you're Ron Rivera, it's great that he comes back and says, whoa, that, that might be a little uh, stepping over the line right there before we even play. So, yes, that's the great thing about rivalries. You know, things like that happen. And uh, we don't have enough of them anymore. It's just great to see. Did you ever in, you know, a rivalry game, let's just say against Duke, do you remember any specific bulletin board material that was provided by the opponent, whether it was Coach K or a player, or anything that you wished you, one of your players or you didn't say. Do you remember any kind of situation like that? Yeah, the, the first year we were good when we had um, three freshmen and two sophomores, uh, or three sophomores and two freshmen, Joe Smith, Keith Booth, X-Ray Hip, Dwayne Simpkins, uh, and Johnny Rose. We were playing Duke at Duke and Dorham, and uh, Dwayne Simpkins held a grudge against Duke because they didn't recruit him. <laughs> so before the game, the day before the game at the press conference, Dwayne said that Duke basically was overrated. <laughs> and so he only lost by 20, you know. So I guess they weren't overrated. But, uh, you know, things like that happened. And, uh, oh, and I remember J.J. Redick, uh, before they played us here, they asked him what he did before the game to kind of get ready to play. He said, well, I'd like to read poetry. <laughs> uh, I, I want to hear J.J. Reddick quote a poem sometime. You know, it's like, come on. And our players really got on that hard. You know, they, they like that. So there's, there's, and, and that's, that's great things. That's the way they shoot that sports. You know, everything doesn't have to be, you know, dictated into, in, into a certain uniform way. You know, there, there should be things like that that happen. Did you, um, when Simpkin said what he said, do, do you remember what your reaction was? Did you care? Yeah, I tried to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I said, Dwayne, well, you played for Morgan Wooten, right? Didn't Morgan tell you about those things? You know, it's like, oh man, that 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 was you know. And you you walk out there, and you just see Shashevsky knowing that like they're going to go after Simpkins really hard, you know. And that's you know th those two teams back then they played defense like it was hard to complete a pass uh, <laughs> right. to get into your offense at Duke. Yeah, God, you know, I remember some of those games where their man-to-man -man was extended way out, and it really was. It was hard to run offense against them. 
Yeah, we we changed our offense uh, going into Duke. We didn't change for many people, but uh, we would we would dribble action into the offense, so we didn't have to make that first pass. In other words, we just kind of got got our point guard to take the ball down where, say, a, a forward would normally receive the pass, and then just switch positions. That that guy would go back to where the point guard started from, and then we could run our offense from there. But they 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 were that that Grant Hill, Hurley, Leitner, and those guys, Davis. They, they were as good a defensive team in college. And I, you had two right then. You had Las Vegas uh, with Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman with their full-court pressure. Then you had Duke with their half-court defense, which was as good as anybody we ever played against in the 22 years I was at Maryland. I, I, I'm sure we've talked about this, but who cares? I think that the UNLV team of 90 and 91, is the, that those are the best college teams I've ever watched. Yeah, I, I think as a team, they were incredible. Um, you know, I go back to uh, Alcindor, obviously now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but those teams were so talented. I mean, you know, Swen Nader never saw the floor. You know, you know people people like that that played successfully in the NBA. You know, they, they just, every position was like, you know, a, a really good player. And, uh, you, you know, it's, you don't see teams like that anymore because that many good players don't stay together for four years. So you're not going to get that continuity. And anytime you lose continuity, I don't care how good your talent is. You're not going to be as good if you have the same talent with continuity. Yeah. I mean, that team, by the way, Swen Nader is seven footer too. I mean, those UCLA teams must've been like many of the Alabama football teams in recent years where, you know, all of a sudden there's like some Alabama player in the NFL playing really well and you don't even remember him playing in college because yeah. he didn't, you know, he didn't get much run. But that UNLV team with Larry Johnson, who was a man, you know, at 21 years old or whatever, Stacy Ogman, who was one of the best defenders, uh, you know, in college basketball, Greg Anthony, all of those guys were incredible. And I'm curious, did you think Tark was a good coach? Yeah, I thought he was a very good coach because he got he got really talented players to play defense. I mean, those guys sacrificed. Players don't want to play pressure defense. You know, they look at the other teams and they're only playing twenty five feet of defense, and then Tark's asking those guys to go out and play really good ball handlers ninety four feet of the court and get up into passing lanes and overplay every pass. That takes a lot out of you, and a lot of players feel that hurts their offense. It uh, takes away something from their legs where they can't get up as high, you know, things like that. So I thought Tark did a great job convincing really good players that this is the way we can have the best team. And he was right. You know, he, he was good. Plus, all coaches like Tarkanian. You know, he had his, you know, he obviously did some things, you know, violated NCAA rules. But at the same time, if you sat around and talked basketball with Tark, he didn't care if you were a high school coach, college coach, coach at Lafayette, wherever. If you, if you wanted to talk basketball with him, he was ready. And I, I think coaches appreciate that uh, from a guy like uh, Jerry Tarkanian. Did you ever coach against him? No, I don't think we ever played Vegas anywhere. No. You know, I was. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I didn't those two years you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, because you, you, you can't. See, the other thing with playing that way, you can't prepare in practice because you don't have guys that can do what they do. And, you know, it's you only see it once or twice a year. It's like pressure defense, zone pressure defense now. How many teams press? So if you run into a team that presses, you're going to really struggle because 
if you don't press, you can't duplicate it in practice. So uh, it's basketball is a great game. There's a lot of ways to play it. That is such an interesting point, just that when you're preparing for a team that's loaded like that, how do you even, you know, practice for it? I, I remember, yeah. I think I think you gave me this advice many, several years ago, and and you said, you know, don't run your kids on wind sprints or suicides. Have them practice press break and pressing because they're going to get yeah. the same cardio workout, and it's, and it's all basketball. You know, and, and you turn on the scoreboard. Any anytime you turn on the scoreboard in practice, players like that. You know, they instead of just doing some ball handling drill or right. sprints, like you said. You know, come on, what, what do you want to do? Plus, you know, you, you start a team on free throw line. Uh, you, you know, regular free throw situations, so that you know you get pressure right away on the free throw situation, and then. I've always felt coaches blow their whistle too many times in practice, so that now the other team. You know, breaks your press, they go down, they score. Well, they have to get their press up. And so all of a sudden, you've got 10 guys out there, which is all you're going to play at the most in any game anyway. And they're, they're running hard. And, but they're liking it because they're playing basketball. Yeah, exactly. Um, back to um, just the, the rivalry stuff for a moment. You know, there was all of those stories about how Maryland students would get, like, J.J. Reddick's cell phone number or, you know, somebody's uh, information, and, the, and they would be, um, you know, they'd be calling them at all hours of the night. Were you familiar with that stuff going on? And then on the flip side, what do you remember as, like, uh, you know, a story of something happening to your players in one of those rivalry games? Well... <laughs> Yeah, I, I do remember that, and I'm sure that happened. You know, we have good students at Maryland. They're very creative. Yep. I, I, I like our students. You know, I'm tired of our students being criticized, by the way. I'd like to say that, hey, our students get into it. The ones that aren't from Maryland are from New Jersey and New York, <laughs> so they've got a little uh, edge to them. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we're not as bad as, you know, we're no worse than anybody else. And this whole narrative now about our students this, our students that, Give me a break. You know, they're, they're great fans, and we, we need them at the games. We need them at the games. So anyway, uh, the one the one thing I can remember is we went down to play at Duke Vasquez's sophomore year, and he started to, you know, by the time he was a sophomore, he had a little bit of name. And of course, he was a little crazy with a shimmy after he made a three, right. you know, and stuff like that. So we go up, you know, it's an 8 o'clock game. He go up to shoot about 6 o'clock before you actually have your uh, pregame warm-up. And those little Duke students down there, they had printed out sheets with things to say to Vasquez in Spanish. Okay, so they're all there, obviously, at 6 o'clock. Those idiots that sit right there at the scorer's table or right on the other side from the scorer's table. And they started chanting things to Vasquez in Spanish. And so he plays great that night. We win at Duke. He finishes it off with like a layup with 10 seconds left to put us up by five or something like that. So he makes the shot and everybody knows what Cameron looks like. And he goes in, makes it and then circles around right by all those crazy. And whatever he said, and he said it in Spanish to them, didn't go over real well with the Duke student body. Right there. <laughs> and it was tremendous, you know, and like, and guys like that, see, I know Mike Krzyzewski really, like Gravis Vasquez. And people might, might not believe that, but he did because he, he had the courage to play like he wanted to play. I mean, that that's 
a lot of guys, you know, they, they hide their emotions when they play, and it hurts them a little bit. You know, basketball's an emotional game. It's okay to show, you know, what kind of person you are, what kind of player you are. Do you know what he said? No, I, I, I asked him, and he just said, Coach, you don't want to know. I said, okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I think Shashevsky's all-time favorite Maryland player was Juan Dixon. Do you agree? Oh, without a doubt. The quick story on that, um, they have a, uh, a fantasy camp down there. I think you got to be 35, and they invite you know everybody back, all, all the former players that still play a little bit to be like counselors and play against the campers and things like that. And so the, the one year he, he had like an, an, an ACC all-star team, guys that had graduated, and uh, he brought them in to play against the campers. He introduced Juan Dixon at that time, so this is 2002, as the best visiting player ever to play uh, against his team. Because one had had 32, I think, and 26 in a couple back-to-back games or whatever. And so that was impressive when you think of Michael Jordan and Worthy and you know guys like that that have been in the ACC, the great players that have been in the ACC. But Juan had um, tremendous courage. Uh, you know, he, he, would, he, would, he would play better in tough situations where everybody knew, you know, you're going into Cameron to play, how tough that is. Mom would play better there than he would at some places that didn't have the same atmosphere. Yeah, the um, you know what's funny about in talking about Juan Dixon, like obviously by the time he became a junior and a senior, we all realized how good he was. You knew before anybody. Um, you know, I remember that that night where he went for 31 in Cameron Indoor, and he also had I think like five or six steals two in the game, um, which was incredible. But I remember even as a freshman and then as a sophomore, you guys played um, at MCI Center, Capital One Bank, whatever you know it was called back then. You guys played Illinois in a game, and it was one of those, you know, that that um, tournament that you would play somebody and then eventually the b b t thank you. Um, yeah. And Juan wasn't, you know, the prominent player on the team, and it was early in the season, his sophomore year, and he took the last shot and made it. And I just remember thinking, this dude's just going to be a big-time scorer, and he's fearless. Like, there was nothing yeah. about him that had him backing off. Like, did you? when did you realize with him that you had a guy that was going to be spectacular? You know, I think people forget Juan had to sit out. It was either right. the semester or the, the whole first year, and so – we played in the Garden in New York against Kentucky um, in the coaches versus cancer thing. The first year Juan could yeah. play, and you know, it's, Blake, we're young. You know, we're down sixteen to Kentucky, and we come back. We're, we're coming back, and we we got we finally get the ball like sixteen seconds left. We get a timeout, and we're down two, and so we we set up a play, and it was get the ball inside, and coming out of the huddle, Juan asked me why. He did the play wasn't run for him, and I said, "Well, you're four for sixteen from the field." <laughs> and he looked at me like, "Yeah, but I'm going to make my next shot," you know. And that's when you you know when you can't shake guys. In other words, a lot of times in practice, you put pressure on. At least I used to put pressure on players to see how they respond because you don't want to wait till a game to find out how your player is going to respond. You got to find out in practice. So sometimes practices can get ugly because of that, but. I always like that part of it. But anyway, so now Juan doesn't take the shot. We miss. 
you know, whatever. The quirk of the schedule was that we had a, a return game. We had played down at Kentucky with Steve Francis. We had a return game for Cole Fieldhouse right. coming in that December, like three weeks later. Tubby Smith. Tubby Smith was the coach. Yeah, yeah. Tubby's a good friend of mine, and and like a Maryland guy, by the way, who who, yeah. who, who was going to go to Maryland except Lefty did not. <laughs> you know, the, the coach, Frank Fellow, said offered Tubby the scholarship. Lefty came in and told him he wasn't good enough, <laughs> and Tubby went. I don't know somewhere in North Carolina, I guess, right. to school. But Tubby still tells that story. But anyway, the. Uh, there was a loose ball, and back then you could, you know, as the ball's going out of bounds, you could go up in the air to save the ball and call timeout while you were in the air. You didn't have to have the foot on the floor like you do now. Right. And Juan made that play with 20 seconds left, and we won the game because that gave us possession, and we were already up a couple. Yeah, uh, that was... Juan was just, Juan was different. I mean, he, he was wired different than most guys you'll ever have a chance to coach because... You could you couldn't shake his confidence. Number one, and when he was a junior in high school of at Calvert Hall in Baltimore, he would he wouldn't even look at you when, when I recruited him. He he was so shy that he wouldn't talk to anybody. At the time he was a junior at Maryland, you couldn't get him away from a microphone. If he saw a microphone, he thought it was his. Well, that's incredible too, right? Just the growth personally. Yeah. Um, uh, you I, know, I mean, you know, everybody knows his background. I mean, he has really a tough background and all that. And he went from, uh, I, I think the way he handled that was just to be a basketball player and not be around a lot of people because he was kind of embarrassed by the way you know he grew up and things like that. And that's where college is so good for so many guys, you know, where you know they do benefit from playing a sport. And you know that that's kind of out out of the narrative now. People don't understand that still happens. That can happen today very easily. It can change a guy's life. You know, just because you got a chance to play a sport and be in front of people and sure. have to deal with media and all those things, that that's a great learning experience. That's that's probably better than any course you could ever take in college. Uh, yeah, uh, life, just all the life experiences that you get um, from that. You know, um, I, I didn't mean to get sidetracked on Juan, but I always love when we we do this. The I. He was obviously one of the more prolific scorers ever, um, the most prolific scorer in the history of the school, and one of the clutch players of all time. But do you think you ever had a guy defensively that sort of anticipated and sniffed out steals from off the ball better than him? No, you know, and you know, it was like a love hate thing with that part of his because game. he would miss sometimes he'd make such big plays, right? You know, like. That game you mentioned against Duke, I mean, he broke the momentum two different times by getting the steal, going down and laying it in. And, you know, you, you need that, – that's why you have a good team. You, you need guys that, like Juan, will gamble. And he drive you nuts. You know, he he didn't even know where his man was sometimes when he was playing defense. You know, and he didn't care. He was looking for the ball because he knew if he got it, he could score. And, you know, he had that great scorer's mentality. Right. And – but yet – you know, and then the other guys, they're, they're playing solid defense. And if you have, you know, a Chris Wilcox and Lonnie Baxter behind him, they certainly, if his man did get loose and it was going to shoot a layup, well, it, it was not a guarantee that they were going to score because of the big men we had back then. And, you know, that's why we were a very good defensive team and, and could, you know, could play with anybody. And so, but he's, he's just, um, 
he 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 was unique, you know, in the way he could play. Yeah, I mean, he was such a good on on uh, off ball defender because he wasn't worried about his own man. <laughs> yeah, he didn't like... have any patience. Yeah, no, he didn't have any patience. Right. You know, he, he yeah. played solid defense for like six seconds. That he did the heck with this. Let's yeah. go steal it. You know, All that's right. why he was a great pressing player too. All right, let's talk about um, the Maryland situation. Um, I guess the first question I would ask you, because I want to look forward mostly with you, because I know that you hopefully will be involved in this process. Every single person would want you to be involved. But on some level, as much as everybody likes Mark and respects Mark, and I know you do too, was it kind of time for a change? Well, um, I think everybody was surprised that it happened when it did. Right. I mean, no, nobody anticipated. If anybody said they, well, they knew it was coming, they're wrong. You know, they, they didn't know it was coming. And I'm not sure Mark did. You know, I think he just, you know, it, it happens. You, you know, you, you reach a point where you make that decision. And, and so, um, you know, Mark really knew the game. Obviously, he was a gr- he played on a great team. You know, at Kansas and played for Larry Brown, tremendous coaching background, all, all those things. And I, I think Mark, Mark's toughest thing here was making um, the adjustment to an East Coast mentality, if that makes any sense. Just the idea that uh, people that live here are wired a little differently. This was his first um, right. taste of being in a pro town. Uh, as a coach, which is completely different than Kansas and than someplace like that. And, you know, all those things go into uh, what makes you feel good about a job. And I've always felt that, uh, you know, you do your best coaching job where, where you're comfortable. You, you have to be comfortable in a job situation. I was from New Jersey. You know, I, I grew up, you know, Palestra, watching the Sixers play, you know, uh, all, all those things, it, it gives you a certain edge to you. Uh, and so when I came down to Maryland to go to school, you know, I, I was I, I was ready to take that on. And then when I came back from Ohio State, you know, I knew what I was getting into, you know, in terms of what the D.C. Baltimore area was like and all those things. So, you know, you fight it, you do it. And I think it can wear you down. There's, there's no doubt about it. It can wear you down. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Maryland, you know, it's, it's, it's not just that it, it's a Northeast slash mid Atlantic school. It's got a massive Northeast influence, as you mentioned earlier. And I know this as an alum, you know, it's a lot of, you know, Long Island, New York, Jersey, and Philly, you know, that you have a lot of that in the student body. You end up having a lot of that. Um, as part of the fan base, which, by the way, is why it's, you know, one of the reasons it's been so great and so passionate, and we've had one of the oh, best yeah. home court environments for years um, because sure. because of that. But, you know, it's it's demanding, but wouldn't you rather have demanding than people that, you know, that we're, or be at a place yeah, where I it's mean, not important? I mean, I, I, I coached at American U. Uh, we had player games at Fort Myer over in uh, right. Virginia, and you know, if you got 300 people there to some games, you you were happy. You know, and like that that's tough because they're, they're, you get no emotion uh, drilled into your team from the crowd. And uh, Boston College wasn't a great um, situation because you know of of the, of the pro town and the BC had outstanding ice hockey and 
Doug Flutie was there the four years I was there. So you had all that going. Now, Ohio State was great because that's a football school, but those those fans would come to basketball games, and they really helped you be good. You were the only show in town. You know, so I coached in that environment where you were the, you were the show. You know, you weren't as big as the football coach, but you were big. And people socially felt like they had to go to Ohio State basketball games to be part of the in crowd. And, and so I experienced that. But then when I came to Maryland, you know, we, we had to fight back. We had to fight back to get the crowd back because of what had happened with Bias and Bob Wade and things like that. And so it, it took some time. But once you got that going, hey, but there was no better place in the country to play than Cole Fieldhouse, you know, back you know, the mid-90s through, you know, 2002 when we left there. And it was just a great experience for me as a coach. And then Xfinity's a little different. You know, it's it's big. It's 19,000 seats, and it's hard to fill that thing. But, you know, as a coach, you have to be a promoter. And I've, I've always felt that in, in this town, that you have to promote. You You have to fight for your share of the media market. You have to fight for your share of the crowd. I mean, how, how much money do... Do, does most people have in terms of entertainment dollars take their kids to games things like that and it, it gets expensive so you, you have to make it so that they would rather be in Xfinity than somewhere else you know and that's not easy to do and it's but it's part of your job here in other words that's that's what you have to take on as part of your job if you have to go out and speak at night after practice when you're tired as hell you know after practice you do it I spoke 65 times the first year I was at Maryland, 89, 90, during the season, just because I knew we needed the fan base back, and I was willing to do whatever it took to do that. And so hopefully, you know, the new coach comes in. He won't have to do that because, you know, the, the program's a little different where it is now than compared to 89, 90. But at the same time, you, you might have to work a little harder. You, you might have to do a, a few more things and you're used to doing, but it is a great job. It is a program that uh, should be uh, consistently top 15, top 20 uh, every year, given the fact that we have a great president now and Daryl Pines, uh, who, who really cares, gets athletics. His son was an All-American soccer player, won a national championship in Maryland, playing in the North American Soccer League, you know, all, all those things. And so we, we've got a great opportunity right now. All right, what does Maryland want? What kind of coach do you think we should be looking for? I think um has to have some charisma with him uh, that uh, will uh, have an edge that some people, most people hopefully will like, some won't like, but like the coach will like the fact that there is some you know discussion about him as a coach to keep the, the, you know, the, the flame going, you know, in the program. And then he has to find a way to uh, recruit locally. You know, I wrote some things down uh, during, during the 22 years I was there about local recruiting, you know, and I got, I got knocked pretty good, especially with one local AAU coach. But we had, you know, at least 20 local players uh, that we recruited right. between Baltimore and Washington. And so I think that's really a key is to be able to get it because the Catholic League right now in D.C., that's the best league in the country. But most coaches throughout the country will tell you that, college coaches, that that is the best high school league in the country. We have to get some of those players. So obviously the connection 
uh, if you can get in. And you, you don't have to know anybody now, but you have to. That's one of the things you have to do as a coach coming in here now in 2021-22 is being able to get involved in those kids because there's too many good players uh, in that league, just for example. And, you know, they throw in Baltimore, you throw in Prince George's County. You know, there's a lot of good players around here. Right. Um, Will... um... So, the, so the kind of the, the kind of coach has to have some charisma. Obviously, has to yeah. really sink his teeth into local recruiting. You know all the things that we all know that are great about the job. The local hotbed. Yeah, the, the other. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the other thing is style of play is important. You know, okay, you know yeah. to a coach coming in, they they have to be aggressive, and it doesn't matter what you know. Jim Beheim's an aggressive coach. He plays two three zone as his base defense, but he's an aggressive coach, and so. You need that. You know, you, you, you know nobody's going to come in uh, to the Dome and, uh, you know, overwhelm Beheim because he's, you know, he's been there forever. But beside that, he was always like that. You know, he'll fight you if he has to fight you. And I think that's, that's you, you know, very important for the next coach. Um, all right. Uh, will you be involved in the search for a new coach? I hope so. I want to be. Um, I feel I can give back to the school and, and see that's the other thing. You know, we're, we're talking about coaching. Well, we, we have to also get everything together. In other words, whether you played for Lefty, myself, Bob Wade, Mark Sergeant, we got to be all in, into whatever happens next. Uh, the fans have to feel the same way. They, they all had their favorite coaches. That's fine. But they've got to be together. And, Kevin, you know this as a woman. The state has to understand what the University of Maryland College Park is to this state. You know, when we're good, you know, it's incredible how the state benefits from Maryland basketball. And I'm not afraid to say that now. You know, I've been out of it long enough where I can get after it pretty good. You know, the energy I had as a coach, I don't have as much energy now, but I still have that same passion. And I can certainly make that point uh, to whoever wants to hear it. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, just in general, it's not only just it's phenomenal for a university when its basketball or football programs are are right. of national prominence. What it does to the number of applicants, and then that allows you to be more discerning with those applicants, which means it raises the profile of the student, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen that, you know, sort of thing, um, you know, uh, in effect over the years. I mean, we saw it after you you know, turn this program into a national championship contender over a long period of time, what it did to the, to the school's overall all profile. I mean, you might not t- take credit for that, but I think you, you probably deserve a hell of a lot of credit for the school going from a school where when I went to it, you basically, if you had a pulse, you could get in if you lived in state yeah. to oh. being now one of the most difficult state schools to get into too hard, in my opinion, for in-state students. I think it should be a little bit right. more accommodating for in-state in-state students. But um, you know, the basketball program did that. A lot of it, a lot of the credit goes to the basketball program all over uh, over all those years. Yeah, I think you know you can go back to Lefty on that too. You yeah. know, um, it, what he did, the, the the charisma he brought that 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 wasn't just in College Park. That that was statewide. Then it became national. You know, the, the fact that, you know, everybody knew who Lefter Dizel was. Everybody got excited, you know, when it was a Maryland basketball. And we became a national story. I mean, I was coaching other places then. I, I, I could see it from a, from a out-of-town uh, look, you know, how important that was. And, 
you know, that that's the one thing I knew coming in. I had to do those things because, you know, what it can mean to the state is incredible. What it does for the university, you know, just the positive vibe on campus. You know, I saw it when we were good or when football was good, you know, how important that is uh, for, for the mental health uh, of the university. It's just a, a great thing. And uh, it's there. You know what I mean? It's every Everything has to fall into place, especially – you know, once again, going back to the metropolitan area thing, everything has to fall in place. But when you have the administration, you know, that was is very supportive, which, you know, I'll be jealous of. Let's put it that way. If when that does happen with the new coach, but I'm glad it is happening for the new coach's sake. And, you know, you have that, and then you have the support. We have to get back the season ticket holders. We've lost quite a few season ticket holders in the last few years, to be honest. And we've got to get them back uh, because those, those people, you know, are, are usually some pretty important people in the community. We need them at the games. You know, that there's, there's nothing better than having, you know, a Steve Vichotti or somebody like that sitting courtside. And, you know, we need all those things. And, you know, that's part of It's just a cool program. You know, people like that. You know, it's, it's cool when you see that. So there's a lot of things to do, but at the same time, we have as, as many Maryland grads in this area that are willing to help that probably haven't been called on for a while. And we need those people to give us their expertise, whatever that is, you know, and, and to make us better. You know, how, how can we market better, you know, our, our basketball and football programs? Because, hey, we're playing in a Big Ten. We're, we're in as good a conference as there is in the country. It's a great academic conference in addition to to the sports side of it. So, and it's football and basketball. You know, all the other sports are great. You know, and nobody's had more success in the Big Ten in the Olympic sports than the University of Maryland since we've been in there. But, you know, we all know, you, you know, you've you got to get it done in football and basketball. And so that's what ahead. That's what a, that's why the future looks great. You know, Loxley's in a bowl game this year. And now we're, we're going to have a new coach come in. And, you know, it's, it's going to be wild, you know, if we can get it going in the right direction. Do you think the school will hesitate to hire a guy with a controversial past? Like, just as an uh, example, a Rick Pitino. Um, you know, if, if – and I'm just using him as an example, but do you think the school is going to have an issue with a controversial past? Well, there, there will be people uh, that might have that issue uh, without a doubt. Um, but at the same time, you, you have to look at, um, what somebody can do for a university right now. In other words, Rick, Rick has paid the price. He, he was let go at Louisville. Uh, he had to go overseas and coach. He's at a, uh, mid-major type situation now, and he's got to, um, you know that that's that's the way it's worked for him, but uh, you know once again we're just using Rick as an example. There's no better coach. Um, he, he's going he's going to put you in a position to be on the national stage um, every year that he, that he coaches. I think he's 66 now or 67, but he's young. You know he, he's still relatively young and in terms of how he feels and everything. So somebody like that. Yeah, that'd be controversial, but you know what? That would last. That that'd be a one-week story. You know, yes. the controversy part of it. Then how are you going to be this year? You know, what's <laughs> right. it going to be like? 
Do you know him? So, Are you friends with him? Yeah, I know him very well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've known Rick uh, a long time. We competed. We played in a Hall of Fame game uh, up in Massachusetts one time. Uh, yeah, you know. So I, I, I know Rick pretty well, and uh, you know, I. I and, and here's the other thing. Now, now with the, uh, the 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 likeness thing and the transfer portals, you you better have somebody wheeling and dealing a little bit because hey, there, there, there's. There's no more violations for for uh, giving guys money or anything like that. Let's get serious. Here. Yeah, you know, guys, you know, they use the likeness as an excuse. You know, there, there's already been bidding wars on on uh, you know the best players. You know, with with with, big with the NIL. Schools. Yeah, yeah, putting together the NIL. So, you, you know, I mean, we 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 need somebody in here that can handle that too. In other words, I couldn't. I don't know how that works. You know, I don't. I don't know how that. Can handle that. You could find somebody to run. You could find somebody to oh, do yeah. that for you. Sure. I yeah. mean, the bottom line with the whole, you know, people that say, "Well, we can't go down that path because of you know yeah. what happened at Louisville or 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 whatever." Winning plus exciting winning equals in significant increase in revenue and a forgetting of whatever happened in the past very quickly, as you said. I mean, I'm ready yeah. for somebody to come in here and be a rainmaker. I mean, do you think – and a great coach, because you want a great coach too, but this program well, is in need of a jolt. Yeah, we, and that's really a good point. You have to be very careful where we are right now with the program. We're kind of on that uh, line where, yeah, it's Maryland basketball is still, you know, good and all this. But at the same time, you know, it wouldn't take much to go the other way where you become irrelevant very quickly in today's, you know, media and things like that. And so we have to make sure that we're going to get a lot of attention with a hire and that people are going to say, wow. You know, I got to watch this. This is going to be really interesting. Whatever happens, it's going to be interesting. And see, I've changed on that. I, I, I'm, I've changed. We're, we're a whether people like it or not, college football and college basketball. We're a professional organization now. For I'm talking about the power conferences and in, in, in the, the Big East, you know, and in basketball and all that. Because this thing with paying players now, which the likeness—that's what the likeness is—has changed. All that, you know, there, there's no more, oh, you know, I really pisses me off. We have to play against some guy that's paying his players. I know he's paying his players. Well, we should be playing our players, just doing it legally, you know, through the likeness right. opportunities that are there. So here we go. Let, let, let's go. This, this, is, this is a big time in college sports right now. The transfer portal thrown in with that, you know, you need a guy in here that players are going to say, man, that guy coached, you know, he coached in the NBA, he, he coached in college. You know that's pretty cool. I might, I'm going to look at that if I'm not happy where I am. Yeah, I, 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 I think you know taking some sort of leap on somebody without a resume because you think he's going to develop into something, or you, I, I personally think that that's way too high risk. You don't. What you've said is it makes so much sense, and obviously I've had these conversations with so many people you know who are alums and fans and the whole thing and it's like look uh 
it can, it, it, could, it can get worse. You Look at what happened to NC State. Right. You and I have talked about NC State from so many times over the years. Herb Sendek was taking Herb that team. Herb was the best coach that's been there for, what, 20 years yeah. now? And they, like and they ran him because he, all he was doing was making the tournament every year and winning yeah. a game instead of winning three games in the tournament. Which And they ran him, and they've never been the same since, really. I'm, I'm, right. So... And that's that's a two-time you know uh, national championship uh, program. So right. uh, it, this is the perfect time with NIL, with transfer portal, with it's it's it, it becoming even much more of a business than than it ever was. And this opportunity, Gary, is so huge. We it's yeah. the arena, it's the fan base, it's the you, league. You, it's you've the got, but you've got my speech. Yeah, if I'm on that committee. You're, you've got my speech. That's exactly what I'm saying. And, Kevin, I, I guarantee you one thing. I, I have nothing to um, hold back because, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And my, my goal right now today, December 10th, is to see Maryland win another national championship. I really want that to happen to the school because we deserve it. You know, we're, we're, we're a good enough school. We're a good enough program. We deserve to be able to do that again. And I, I think that separates you when you've won one national championship. All of a sudden, you won two. That just puts you at a different level. And I think that's what we have to do. And I think that would uh, you know, lay the foundation of Maryland basketball never looking back. You know, Once they get that next one, they never have to look back again. Yeah, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. I know we've had this conversation before, but for for those that are listening and hearing this stuff for the first time, Maryland should be a national championship contender, a legitimate Final Four or national championship contender once out of every five years minimum. You know, it should be in the tournament every it should be in the tournament every year. It should be in Sweet Sixteens multiple times, and at least once, uh, you know, every four or five years, it should have a legitimate national championship contending team. I mean, I, I feel that way. I'm not. Ex- nobody's saying that we should be Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, or Carolina, where you just reload and you come in ranked number two or number one every year. But Maryland should be at the top of the next category, certainly near it. Yeah, and, you know, you, you see some of those schools that can do that in that next category that you're talking about, and we – there, there's no reason why. Well, you had it there. We're not one of those schools. You yeah, had you it know, there. Yeah, we, we had a chance. Uh, we had a couple teams. The uh, the Steve Francis team had a chance, but Abina Akizi blew out his Achilles a week before the NCAA tournament. Joe Smith sophomore year or, with Booth had a Joe chance. Smith's sophomore year, we were I got two seed. I got pneumonia. Yeah, so that's the only games I ever missed in my life. Yep. You know, as a coach, and that really bothered me. It still bothers me uh, that I've gotten sick, and and like. Even Vasquez's sick. senior year, while we're beating, while we're losing to Michigan State in the last second shot, Northern Iowa is upsetting Kansas. Yeah, so be. you had to beat Kansas and Tennessee after the Michigan, not Kansas, Northern Iowa and Tennessee to get to the Final Four right. that year. And Duke won that year, and we had already beaten Duke uh, during the regular season. So a lot of things got to go your way, you know, to, to make, you got to be lucky unless you're really good, you know, and you know, just better than everybody else. But, you know, I'll take those chances. And, you know, I'll play anybody one game. And we got to get a guy in here that'll feel that way. Like, you know, give me one game against the best team in the country. There's no reason why we shouldn't be good enough to, to win that one game. 
You know, I've um, been very um, passionate and vocal of, uh, you know, in defense of Mark being a really good coach because I believe that. I think he's a really good coach. And I think the fans that believe that he should be gone because he's not a good coach, I think they're delusional. I think it's totally reasonable to believe that we're better than one Sweet 16 in 10 years and the program's gotten a little bit stale. So let's agree on that. But he, he was a good coach. But, you know, the you know just over this recent Thanksgiving holiday, and I have felt this way a couple times over the last couple of years, Maryland's kind of dropped off prominence-wise just in the big-time holiday scheduling thing. Um, yeah. You know, we you you had us in Maui, I think, multiple times. and well, We went every four years. That's, that's what you can do. Yeah. And, uh, and I know Maui was in Vegas best. this year. Maui's best. But now the Bahama thing is really good. The other... Maryland was playing in a tournament in Bahama where the other one was yeah, going with Michigan the, State. The, Atlanta, the Atlantis the is the bigger one. Yeah, we were in the bar. Yeah, you want the Atlantis right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's look, we, we had a game with Louisville. I'm not, you know, we, it wasn't like we were playing, you know, South Carolina State in the uh, in the final. They beat Richmond, and then they were playing Louisville in the final, and the, and that's a big time program matchup. But, um, right. I, but so, what's the timetable on all of this? Well, um, Damon, they were out at the um, the the College Football Hall of Fame was in Vegas, so Damon was out there with Henderson. Uh, who was a great football yeah. player at Maryland. Yeah. And um, so now it's uh, the first thing they got to do is, I guess, decide what they want to do. You know, like, uh, for, do we want to form a committee? Uh, that that has to take place. Then the committee has to meet. And then, you know, we've got to get to work. Though. It can't say, nobody can say, well, we have all this time, uh, given given the unusual timing of the opening and the job. And of course, Danny Manning, if he turns around and wins 10 games in a row or something like that, it's, right. you know, you have to look at that. But, you know, it's, it's time to get moving, you know, is the best way I can say, because I, I know when, you know, like coaching wise, well, we can always put in our out of bounds plays. Well, if you don't put them in early enough, you never run good out of bounds plays <laughs> that year. And, and so, you, you know, it, the more time you have, the better it is. So, Take advantage of the time, and hopefully we can get started on this thing. Um, why don't NBA teams run out-of-bounds plays to get the ball in when they have to? Do you notice that? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like, what, what I see, if I was an NBA coach, and I never did, I would press after free throws. I know those guys, it's a tough sell and all that stuff, yeah. but it's bad as good as those guys are. They're so bad in traps and things like that in a full court situation because they never have to play against it. Right. See, if you never play against something, you you you, you know you you you, you and and you, they're they're so good they think well I can just dribble through. They the just trap. they are always trying to dribble right through a trap. Yeah, that's what they do, and, and like it's it's a great way to surprise a team, and you know it's the the problem with the NBA is the scoring comes in bunches so quick. In other words, somebody's fifteen down, all of a sudden they're four up four minutes later and teams always think that that's the answer they're going to be able to score they'll get hot and they do a lot of times but you know once again you, you want a full repertoire of what you do and so if you just have like a, a press you can throw on after free throws um and that's easy it's easy to press after free throws right. it really is yeah 
Yeah, that you got more time to set it up. Plus, even well, if everybody's you, set up, you, yeah, you set and, up on a lane with, with the guys you want in certain places, you know. And even if you don't get a turnover, you have them burn a bunch of the shot clock before they get into their yeah. offense. I um, mean, we're talking twenty-four seconds, so the. Uh, but still, it's amazing to me to watch NBA teams when they absolutely have to get the ball inbounds at the end against, it, by the way, typically full court. And basically, it's operation get open. There's not, That's it. Yeah. You just got to – they rely on their athletes to get open. By the way, back to this uh, – to the opening. Just out of curiosity, were, was there any possibility that you would be the interim coach? Like Barry Alvarez, you know, at Wisconsin one year ended up going back to coaching. We just had Bob Stoops, you know, take over at Oklahoma for the bowl game for Lincoln Riley. Was there ever a chance that you were going to be the interim coach this year? I, I, I didn't know if I'd get a call or not. Obviously, I didn't. Uh, but they had Danny Manning there, and, I, you know, he'd been a head coach at Wake Forest, so they felt that was – the way to go, and that might be right because he knows the players better than I do. He, he knows, you know, uh, they can continue to run the same stuff as they did under Mark, and, and so I think that that was the way they they chose to go. You know what, though, if you had been the coach against Northwestern on Sunday, the building would have been filled to capacity. It would have been a good business move at the very least. Yeah, that that's what I thought. I, I see. I, I could be. I, th- I thought I could be a good cheerleader. <laughs> for January, February, and March, really, and just get people excited and have that at that level, and then the new coach comes in and just, you know, rides that wave, and that, that that's what I. What kind of fist done. pump would you have come out first on oh, Sunday? Man. I would have hurt my, I would have hurt my shoulder. I know that <laughs> the place would have lost its collective minds. I mean, yeah. it would have been it would have been insane. Um, all right, and I think I would have worn a suit just to you know like. Nobody wears a suit anymore. I think I would have worn a suit. Yeah, you so. would have. You would have definitely worn a suit, and and probably yeah, yeah. and probably sweated through a portion of it anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you would have been. Uh, would you have been nervous? Sure. Oh yeah, I would. I would. I would get nervous before every game. Uh, by the time I got to the bench, uh, I was okay. But before the game, I was. That that was the worst part of my life. The, you know, especially nine o'clock games at night. I hated them. You know, because Waiting what do you do? You get up at seven thirty, and what do you do? You know, you would, can't practice. Would you have had time to to put in your 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 one two one one diamond press? Yeah, that that's that's. I, I hate to admit this, but that's so easy to put in. Yeah. The players like to do it. You know, if you know, we had a rule that if we stole the ball, you know, given given time to score, obviously, but in the normal flow of the game, if we stole the ball. Our job was to shoot as quickly as possible because we wanted to play in transition if we stole the ball. And so players love that. You know, they, they just, you know, you talk about Juan Dixon, guys like that. Give me the ball. <laughs> we got to steal it so we can score. We don't have to run the flex if we steal the ball. <laughs> we don't have to run that flex against, by the way, which must have been super hard to run against Duke when they were extending out because that, oh, yeah. that first pass going from one guard to the other out front would have been yeah. difficult. You, you know, and and we we would uh, we we wound up doing a thing where we had the two guard front. The guy with the ball would just dribble the ball at the other guy, and he'd go underneath, like around the foul line, right back to the other guard spot, so he could get a cutter going in the flex. I mean, it was it was it was hard. It was really hard. You know, you you ran the f- flex better than anybody did. Did that come from Tom Davis? 
Yeah, a lot of it was Tom Davis. A lot of it was when I played at Maryland, Bud Nolikin was our coach, and Pete Newell had a reverse action, they called it, offense. And it was more of a shuffle cut. You know, the, the cut yeah. came from above the foul line right. off the post. But it's the same action. And I learned from that, too. And they ran that. We ran it at Maryland with a one-guard front. The guard would pass, go through the corner. But basically, it was me just to get out of the way so I wouldn't think about shooting. <laughs> and then, then they'd swing it to the top of the circle to the other guard, and he hit the forward the other side, and then the cutter would go off of that. So it, it was very similar. So I, I picked it up from both guys, really. Are you, um, are you friendly with Bruce Pearl? Because he coached for Tom Davis. He was there... Uh, at Boston College with Tom. When Tom went to Stanford, Pearl went with him. Pearl, Pearl was like a student manager. He wasn't a player. He, In fact, he was the Eagle at Boston College for one year. Oh, he was? And, I didn't uh, know that. Oh, yeah. So he went to Stanford with Tom, then he went to Iowa with Tom when Tom went to Iowa. And so, yeah, I, I know Bruce for, for a long time. All righty. This was fun as usual. I hope you guys are well. Um, I will talk to you soon. Who do you like, Washington or Dallas? I'm taking Washington. I just think we have momentum. Momentum's big, and plus, uh, you know, I, I, as I've been over here over, not as long as you guys have lived here, but I've been here over 30 years now, and I like to kick their butt. So yeah. here we go. All right. Uh, thank you, Gary. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Kevin. Always a pleasure. Gary Williams, everybody, uh, Hall of Famer, legend. I really want him intimately involved in the process of finding Maryland's next coach. Look, now that the opening is here, okay, you know how I feel about the last era. Uh, I don't think the results ultimately in March were good enough, and I agree with most of you who say there was a staleness to the program here in recent years. 2020 may have changed that, but that didn't happen. Um, But I don't agree with some of you um, that that Mark Turgeon was a, a bad coach. Gary doesn't agree with that. Uh, anybody that knows basketball knows he was a good coach. But now that there's an opening, I want Maryland to think big, and I want them to swing big. You know, I thought about this back in 2010 for the football program. I wanted Mike Leach to hell with whatever his situations were. It would have worked out much better, uh, Mike Leach versus Randy Edsel. I didn't want Ralph to go um, because Ralph had just become the ACC Coach of the Year in 2010. Maryland went to bowl games in seven of ten Ralph's years and won five of them. Um, but anyway, uh, Leach in 2010 to me would have been the better hire for football. In 2010 basketball-wise, many of you have reached out to me to say, you know, I understand that the job's a good job, but you're overrating it thinking it's a top 15 to top 20 job. Look, most people in the sport would agree. I don't need – the debate is, is – whatever. Think what you want to think. Um, in 2010, Sean Miller was going to take the job. He needed one academic exception from the university, and he couldn't get it. He felt that that was very important. He had that at Arizona, and he wanted that at Maryland, and Maryland wasn't doing it that, uh, doing that back then. Um, you know, there were guys and big names that were interested in the job that Maryland wasn't interested in. The only person of any of those names back in 2010 that I heard um, 100% said, no thank you, was Jamie Dixon, who was, at, who was at Pitt at the time. Dixon's now at his alma mater, TCU. 
as its basketball coach. Every other name mentioned back then, I think, had you know some level of interest from you know a, a little bit of interest to maybe significant interest. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Uh, Turgeon was a hot name. I mean, don't act like Turgeon was some mid-tier candidate. He had built Texas A&M uh, into a perennial NCAA tournament team that was producing pros like DeAndre Jordan and Chris Middleton. Plus, he had taken Wichita to a Sweet 16 um, before he got to College Station at A&M. Uh, but uh, I want them to think big, swing big. I want them to end up with somebody that's really going to put a jolt into the program. We were talking, obviously, about Patino, and my question to Gary, um, paraphrasing it, was something like, you know, will the university steer clear of, of coaches with controversial pasts? Obviously, there are degrees of of past and, and a guy like Patino has you know has made amends and is if you've got a guy that's already paid the price for whatever happened and whatever happened you're okay with you got to move forward you you need you can't go down the path in my opinion of trying to find the Mike Shashevsky of 1982 you know hire this young guy that you're convinced is going to be a great coach it'll take some time but you're convinced it'll really work out long-term. I think that's too high risk right now. It's too competitive in this marketplace. It's too competitive in the Big Ten. It's too competitive in college sports. And the opportunity exists right now with a really good coach with, as Gary said, some charisma, you know, uh, the ability to really recruit, uh, some style of play that's more exciting um, I want I want a really good coach more than anything else, but I want the other things with it too, and that's why I'm thinking big, swinging big if I'm the university um, because there's an opportunity here. Maryland should be one of those programs that you're thinking about when college basketball rolls around. I don't think it'll ever be Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Blue Bloods, you know, UCLA if you want to put them into that category. But it should, as it was under Gary, be at the very top or very near the top of the next tier, which is, you know, right now places like Michigan State and Villanova and in recent years a place like UVA. You know, that's where Maryland belongs. And it hasn't been in that tier recently. It's been probably at the bottom of that tier because that tier probably has, you know, 15 places in it, if not at the top of the third tier. I haven't really done my tears, but you get my point, hopefully. Um, I think like Patino and Bruce Pearl and big names like that, Eric Musselman, um, who I love as a coach at Arkansas. I'm a big Ed Cooley fan. Keep in mind, some of these guys are going to be at places where they may not seem to be as prominent as Maryland, but they may have a setup. They might have a situation that just makes it very difficult for them to leave. I've heard a couple of things about a couple of coaches where, you know, the spouse has a significant job or significant family, and they're just never going to move. They're going to stay there, and they've got a good situation. Those th- kinds of things play in as well. I mean, I think Kevin Willard's a name to keep an eye on. I think Andy Enfield at Southern Cal is a name to keep an eye on. Um, you know, those are two right now that I would say 
would be it wouldn't surprise me if they're on a list. I don't know how short that list is. I'm sure the list isn't short. It shouldn't be short at this point. And remember, with a whole season to play, by the time we get to March, there will be another three or four hot candidates, you know, that emerge. But uh, I'm looking for the person that can coach and is going to immediately inject some legitimate juice back into the program. Uh, I love Ed Cooley as a coach. He's always been one of my favorite coaches. Um, I really love Musselman as a coach. I think Willard can really coach. I think Enfield can probably really recruit. You know, and he went to Hopkins and he worked in the area. He's an interesting story because he didn't get into coaching until he was like 30 years old. He used to run games at Bethesda Sport and Health with a bunch of us. He was a good player, by the way, really good shooter. And then he somehow got a gig as an assistant somewhere and then ended up as an assistant in the NBA and then ended up as the head coach at Florida Gulf Coast. And remember the dunk show they put on when they knocked Georgetown out in the first round and they advanced to the Sweet 16. And then, then he got the, the Southern Cal job. You know, Southern Cal just hired Lincoln Riley. I mean, USC basketball is a distant, distant number two or three behind, you know, regular football and spring football. Um, would a guy like Enfield want to be at a basketball first school and in an area that he's familiar with? I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, John Beeline, he's 68 years old. I I think Beeline's a phenomenal coach. And to be honest with you, the age matters, I guess, because you'd love to have this guy for like the next 20 years. You know, you'd like to have a Gary Williams kind of run, um, it, it, you know, with the next guy that gets hired. Um, but John Beeline can just flat out coach. He's one and one big everywhere he's gone. I don't know what his deal would be, whether or not he'd want to come back to college coaching, and then if he did, come back to the Big Ten and coach against Michigan. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, um, yeah, I think that's it for the day. Can't wait for Monday when we are here recapping a Washington-Dallas game that, again – I think Washington wins 23-20. to Have a great weekend. Back on Monday. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.